Another Saturday morning that has rolled around again, which means it's time for Inside the Outdoors. How you doing out there, folks? I hope everything is good with you. I hope you enjoyed your taste of, of winter and then your taste of, uh, I don't know what this is called when we get the sunshine, but it looks like uh, a lot of the state is going to be back to a little taste of uh, moisture over the weekend. But if you are looking for some things to do, this is the show for you today. We're going to start out by an annual tradition that has um, taken place for I don't know how many years now. We'll find out hopefully in a few minutes. But it is the Elk Festival at the Hardware Ranch, which is the state park, which is um, up the Blacksmith Fork Canyon. And uh, it is the Elk Festival that, that is going today. Now, this is an opportunity for those of you who've done this before. Um, it, it is a lot of fun. It's a great opportunity for the kids, not just to see the elk. And that in and of itself is worth whatever the drive is going to be to get there. But you've also got all kinds of crafts and things that are going on. Uh, it's, it celebrates the elk, but an opportunity for the horse-drawn sleigh through the middle of the hundreds of the elk that are up there, the wild elk that have already started to gather. Um, they're going to have the festivities. Now, the activities begin 10 o'clock this morning, so you've got time to get up there. Still got a couple of hours, even if you're heading up from uh, from Utah County, and it goes till 2 o'clock this afternoon. And with the exception of the ride through the elk herd, which is $5 for those who are 9 and older or $3 for those who are 4 to 8 years old, everything else is free and there's a whole bunch of stuff that is free that you'll have a chance to uh, to do so we figure we better go to the source and that means the park manager up there Randy Hunt joins us this morning to talk to us uh, a little bit about everything that's going on Randy thanks for getting up and joining us but I have a feeling you've been up for quite a while this morning getting plans ready and everything else yeah we have been up for uh we've been up here we're getting ready and uh we're looking forward to a great day. You got snow too, which sometimes this time of year you've got to put that wheeled wagon out there. But not this uh, this year. You can definitely get the horse-drawn sleigh out there. We can. Uh, in fact, we've already got uh, runners on on most of them. So we're we're ready to go for the full-on sleigh experience this year. That that is great. Talk to me about some of the things that uh, that they can do besides just ride through the uh, the meadow there with the elk in it. Yeah, so like you mentioned in the intro, we got a lot of fun um, uh, craft activities. Uh, you can come make a Christmas ornament for your Christmas tree that incorporates elements of the habitat that uh, you're going to see around you at Hardware Ranch and that you're going that elk uh, rely on. So there's going to be bits of sagebrush, some bits of bitterbrush, some of the the leaves that come off some of the uh, deciduous shrubs up there, and, of course, some uh, baked and shellacked elk scat to go with it. You've also got a chance uh, to make a bird feeder out of pine cones. I mean, that's another good craft thing. So if you got you got kids mm-hmm. and they need something to do besides take the ride, uh, or if you don't want to spend the money for the ride, you've still got a lot of things that they can enjoy doing. Uh, they ought to have maybe some binoculars. That's a good thing because those elk, depending on how far away they are from the visitor center and where you can get uh, binoculars are always good, obviously, and then dress for the cold. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it, during the day there, it can't, we are above the inversion, and so it can be warm, but uh, when it cools off, it cools off quite quickly. And then uh, you've got to, you don't have food at the place, so anybody coming up should probably bring their own food and drink, right? Yeah, bring your own food and drinks. Uh, we do have flushing facilities. 
Um, and there are a few uh, restaurants in Hiram, Utah, which is just uh, at the mouth of Blacksmith Fort Canyon before you come up to hardware. Uh, that you can also stop at, but no, we don't have any uh, food on premises. Yeah. Now, now this year, I know you've got a, an issue with brucellosis up there. I mean, that's a disease. Uh, it's bacterial. Uh, cattle get it as well. Obviously, uh, the elk are susceptible to it. Bison, uh, typically, we think about with brucellosis. That's something that you're keeping a close eye on, too, up there, right? We do. Uh, so when you're out on the meadow or if you're up there just looking behind where the elk are being fed, you'll see a uh, working facility back there. And that's where we uh, trap uh, at least a minimum of 40 breeding-age females, and then we draw their blood to test for brucellosis. And that gives us an idea of the health of the population regarding that particular disease. Um, it can be pretty bad if we were to get it in, and that's why we monitor and, and make sure that our, our elk are staying healthy. Now, I know even though your elk festival begins today, you actually began yesterday, the Friday, with, uh, with taking the rides. So some folks might have already had a chance to do that. Uh, and then you'll run through, uh, let's see, I think you're only running Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays right until the 9th of February. That's correct. And on Fridays, we open at noon, and we start our rides at noon. And Saturdays and Sundays, we start at 10 o'clock. And okay. all days, we sell tickets until 4.30, and then... We'll do rides until everyone that's purchased a ticket for that given day has gone out on the metal. Okay. And and if you want to do that ride, you've got to buy that uh, that ticket by the 4.30 p.m. because that's when the last coach leaves, right? Yeah, that's when they, they shut down the field in the visitor center. So make sure you've at least got your ticket bought before 4.30. <laughs> well, it's a fun day, I know, and the kids, plus they're having a chance. I, I guess you give them a little bit of uh, opportunity to call to learn to call elk as well, which is kind of fun for those. Uh, even if you, you're not an elk hunter or whatever, if you learn to call elk during the fall, you can have a great time just getting in the mountains and actually calling in elk. That in and of itself is uh, is something that a lot of folks enjoy, enjoy in the outdoors even if they don't hunt the animals they just want to get out and uh, be able to to bring in an elephant an elephant an elk a bull elk and that <laughs> that is something that uh, uh, a lot of people never get a chance to do yeah that's one of my favorite t- things about fall is uh in the evening you can often hear if you're in an area where elk are you can hear them talking to one another they're the most vocal species of the deer that we have here in the state of utah and it's and so, yeah, we have a elk calling clinic that runs uh, as part of our elk festival, and you can learn how to make elk sounds. And we do have some uh, mouth calls that we will be just giving out. Um, and then you're welcome to come try your hand at either the amateur bracket of our elk calling competition that's at the end of the festival, or if you're a veteran elk hunter and you want to uh, compete in the veteran uh, bracket, uh, come and show us your stuff. So basically, opportunity for any age group, any uh, interest level, and I guess the star obviously is that ride, which again is a five dollar ride for those nine and over, and three dollars for for four to eight. Um, boy, it's a it's a definite cheap activity for the family for the day tomorrow, or today, and and through tomorrow. Absolutely, and it's up in the mountains, and they're beautiful this time of year. <laughs> and uh, you know, while you're waiting for your turn to go out on the meadow, bring your sled, your uh, sleds. And uh, we've had people sledding down the hillsides while they're waiting for their turn to go out. Uh, we'll be running five wagons for the festival today, 
and uh, should be able to keep up with the crowds pretty good. Sounds good. Hey, Brad, thanks. Uh, best of luck to you for the weekend. I know you're going to be busy. Yes, thank you, and uh, we look forward to seeing you guys up there today. Sounds good. Remember, that's at the Hardware Ranch State Park, which is up Blacksmith Fort Canyon up there in Cache Valley. All right, we've talked about the Hardware Ranch and the snow and the ice and all the stuff up there and why that may be bad news for, while it may be bad news for some folks who are sick of winter already, and you can count me as one of those, one of the few things that gets me through the winter is the fact that it is ice fishing season. So um, those cold temperatures, the snow and the ice and everything attendant to that, uh, maybe partially bad news, but boy, for those who can't wait to get out on that hard water and start ice fishing, uh, it is good news. Randy Opplinger joins us again, the sport fisheries coordinator for the Division of Wildlife Resources, to talk about the ice fishing season. And Randy, while um, maybe right along the Wasatch Front we're not ready, there is some ice fishing to be had in the state already uh, this this early part of the season. Elevation waters. There's 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 enough ice you can maybe start trooping out on. And heck, I mean, driving around here in the Salt Lake area, I think I'm seeing some areas with a little bit of ice. It's not safe yet, but it makes you feel like ice fishing season coming. <laughs> yeah, because there have been years when it's taken us a long time to actually get to some hard water that we can walk on. So, you know, it's still up in the air, I guess, as you mentioned right now. We don't have a lot of, of ice that is um, that is thick enough to go on in this area. But around the state we do. Certainly the winners have had ice on them for a couple of weeks now, and I know some folks have been uh, making that, that step out onto the ice there and doing okay. Yeah, you know, you look at some of those higher elevation places like the winners, there certainly is ice, and, you know, there's certainly some people who are – chomping at the bit to get out i think people really enjoy their ice fishing season and some people are getting out and you know it's, it's a good time you go and catch lots of fish through the ice so i imagine people are doing pretty well those have tried it already what about a management philosophy from the division from the sport fishery side of things where does ice fishing fit and how do you dovetail that with what you would do for the rest of the year when the water is soft you know we don't do much differently between ice fishing season and kind of the rest of the season you know we see that uh Fish generally, you know, if they're available during the summer months, they're also there under the ice. And, you know, pretty much every species that's available during the summer will, to some capacity, will take lures for ice fishing. But, you know, we, we do see ice fishing as being something that's increasing in popularity. So it's something we're definitely starting to think about a little bit more in terms of our management and making sure we're providing good opportunities for people during that season. Yeah, I wondered whether you have to consider uh, harvest during ice fishing season and when you start looking at number of fish, you know, fish pounds needed uh, over the course of a year and things of that nature. And I would imagine that with the increase in ice fishing over the last, what, maybe decade, two decades, that it has to factor as a bigger portion of, of what you're looking at when you figure out what you need for the year. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're definitely thinking about it more. You know, just to give you one example, Pelican Lake, you know, we just brought back online. Mm-hmm. We started putting some fish back in there after we did a treatment to remove carp last year. And you know, we put a seasonal closure, or not a seasonal closure, but a closure on taking bluegill for the next year or so with the idea that uh, we want to protect those bluegill. But we really had ice fishing in mind at that time because we were worried that maybe some ice anglers would get on the bluegill and take whatever few bluegill are in there out pretty quickly. Yeah, and uh, and it's an ongoing situation. You know, you point out in the release this week that access obviously is a lot better during the hard water season because somebody who doesn't own a boat, maybe the shore would get that pressure 
typically uh, during the summer and the spring and, and the fall. But during the winter, that that whole lake becomes uh, available to, to anyone who can get out on the ice and move around a little. Yeah, that's really the awesome part about ice fishing. You know, it spreads people out. So, you know, if you don't like fishing around other people, you got some more room to kind of spread around and avoid people. And also at the same time, you know, if you're somebody who doesn't have a boat like many of us, uh, ice fishing gives you an opportunity where you can literally just walk out to some of the best spots out toward the middle of the lake that you can't normally access from shore. Now, you you like to tell people at least four inches of, of good, clear ice. Um, that's probably the kind of, I guess, the measuring stick literally and figuratively as far as what is uh, safe is, is concerned. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of the golden rule. Four inches is the minimum. But, you know, one thing we really caution people is ice thickness can vary a little bit across the lake, maybe a couple inches. So, you know, if you see four inches in one spot, don't count on the whole lake being four inches. There could be some thinner spots. So definitely, even if you're trooping out when it's four inches, be be a little bit cautious. We, we encourage people to maybe drill some test holes and kind of, as you're moving around, just watch the depth a little bit to make sure you're staying on some safe ice. And most of our lakes do have springs in them. Yeah, a lot of them do have springs in them, so those are areas where you'll find thinner ice, and also you'll see a little bit thinner ice as you move toward the inlet areas where there's maybe some streams bringing some water into those rivers or those those reservoirs. You know, why? I know one of the lures of ice fishing is that you can get into it pretty reasonably. I mean, yes, it's nice to have the power auger, and it's great to have the, uh, you know, to have the fish finder and all the money tied up in that, but you really don't need, especially if you're fishing smaller bodies of water or bodies where you've got tight schooling species of fish, you really don't need all that equipment do you no you really don't i think that's one of the nice things about ice fishing is you don't need a lot and a lot of the stuff you need is sort of one-time investment kind of stuff so you know honestly you need to pick up an ice auger but a hand auger works pretty well you don't Mm -hmm. necessarily need a power auger and a hand auger is about fifty dollars and then need a scoop which is only a few bucks or you could even use a spoon out of your kitchen ice rods are fairly inexpensive they maybe start around twenty dollars the lures are cheap, maybe 3 or $4 a piece. You don't need a lot of them. A few of them will be just enough to get you fishing. And some bait, and usually just a couple of waxworms or mealworms is just a few dollars. So, you know, what I kind of tell people is for under $100, it's a sport you could get into. And a lot of that equipment is equipment you're going to have forever. So it makes it pretty cheap once, you, once you've invested in the initial equipment to keep going and ice fishing. That's true. And don't forget the five-gallon bucket that you can probably pick up free with something you've purchased or you find thrown away at uh, at one of the Home Depot stores or whatever, uh, something to sit on anyway, because it can get a long day standing up if you're going to stand on that ice, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's some other things you probably have around your house that are it's nice to have, yeah. like a bucket to sit on or a chair. I like taking one of my, my child's sled and hauling stuff out in the ice. That helps. And, you know, certainly you want to dress warm for the elements, but most of us have, you know, nice hat, gloves, boots, that kind of thing to take out. Yeah, we're used to dressing for winter anyway, but uh, obviously the safety is the number one concern. And uh, and for ice fishermen, especially early in the season, you know, I find people all the time that want to just can't wait to get out. Personally, I've never taken that swim. I don't think I want to do it at this time of year. No, you're absolutely right. <laughs> that, that's that's a hard swim. It's hard to get out of the ice if you fall through. So. I think a lot of us get antsy to get out, but it's important to play it safe and make sure you have good ice. It's important to go out there with friends so you have a buddy just in case something happens. And, you know, another thing I advocate for $10, $15, you get a set of ice picks, which yeah. just kind of hang around your neck. And if you're to fall through, they help you 
kind of grab the edge so you can pull yourself out. Yeah, pretty cheap insurance policy. And the other thing, too, if you do have it, um, one of those wearable life jackets, especially if you can you can get the one that goes around your neck, it does require a little bit of extra money expenditure. But again, if you're looking at the things that you want to spend your money on for an insurance policy, that's probably one of them. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good thing to take out. But, you know, honestly, we talk about the safety stuff. It's, it's important to take that seriously because there are some rescues falling through the ice. But there's a lot of planning you can do to be safe, yeah. too. You know, drilling with test holes, making sure you have good thick ice before you go out. And it's not like people fall through all the time, but it does happen from time to time. But if you play it safe, you're usually generally safe out there. I mean, obviously, with ice, you can't stock during the winter months either. I mean, you you know, the summer months, you, you will do that. But the winter months, you're not able to do it, I imagine. Uh, I don't imagine you even you stock uh, moving water, do you, the, the rivers in the winter, but certainly not the still water if you've got ice on the lake. Yeah, we don't generally. You know, we've done it from time to time, you know, cut a hole in the ice, put fish through the ice, but... That generally doesn't seem to work too well. But, you know, that kind of plays into the, the planning thing you talked about from a fisheries management aspect where, you know, we have some popular ice fishing waters, and frequently what we try doing is getting some fish in them, you know, kind of October, November, sort of before the ice forms. So there's some fish out there for when people go ice fishing. So we, we do try to plan ahead for it. And I think people need to consider the community fisheries, certainly for ice fishing. A lot of them I know are at lower elevations because that's obviously the goal is to provide easy access to the population centers for kids and other folks to get there and fish. But uh, if we do get the hard freeze, and we have had it obviously at times during the winter months, those, those community ponds will freeze over, and they're a good target to think about for the ice fishermen. Yeah, absolutely. Those are a good target. They're you know a nice place for those of us that live close to the community fishery, which is most people in the Salt Lake Valley. Mm-hmm. We have you know a bunch here in kind of the area, but yeah, those are definitely targets where you could find, probably find some good ice fishing if you get good ice in the middle of the winter. Well, Randy, we appreciate it. Uh, again, it's just one of the things that I have seen come up over the last 20 years or so that have just added so much to the fishery and the opportunity for somebody who uh, who wants to fish year-round. Ice fishing, I remember when it was relegated to places like maybe Utah Lake, uh, Deer Creek, Bear Lake. I mean, you could count on the fingers of your hand the number of places that had ice fishing back in the 70s. And now, I mean, almost every place, well, certainly the waters around the state are open to it. And then we've added the community ponds. So we've truly gotten a statewide ice fishing. And it, it has made, I think, an incredible difference for people to, uh, to have the chance to fish if they want 365 days a year. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think ice fishing is increasing in popularity, so we're seeing more people do it. But, you know, honestly, there's waters throughout the state where you could go ice fishing. And I encourage those of you who have never done it before, give it a try. It's it's a little bit different than fishing when the water's open, but yep. it's, it's a blast, I think. You get into a lot of fish. and. You have a, a fun day, even though it's cold outside. <laughs> well, yeah, and you can find, I mean, if, especially if you find fish. One of the keys, people say, well, where do you go when you ice fish? I say, look for people, give them enough wide berth that you're not on top of somebody. That's kind of a pet peeve, I think, of all fishermen who f- find novices. But uh, typically, you know, if you don't know where to fish on a body of water, watch fishermen because uh, their presence will typically show you, you know, where the fish are. And you can read structure a little bit, too. If you see points coming down, you know the land's going to underneath is going to drop off and fish like ambush points you can really learn a lot about fish that is transferable to the summer months if you pay attention during the winter 
Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, look, look, look for other people. They'll probably tell you where the fish is, and the same kind of cues you use, you know, in terms of the landscape, looking for drop-offs, yeah. that kind of thing, could tell you a lot about where the fish are going to congregate in the winter as well. And you also kind of hit on if you find some good spots while you're ice fishing, those are maybe spots that could work just well for fishing in the summer too. Yeah. Well, Randy, thanks. I appreciate the visit. It is ice fishing season, or it's certainly getting there. There are some waters in the state other than the UNs that are that are getting frozen. Some of those higher elevation lakes, I know strawberries starting to form some ice on it. And while maybe some of those lakes are not completely frozen yet and have uh, really good uh, uh, thick, clear ice, they're starting to get that way. And I would imagine, you know, by Christmas time. Think about ice fishing gear as gifts for people if they if they're whether they're a veteran ice fisherman or just getting into the sport or certainly a hunting and fishing license is one of the, I think one of the great Christmas gifts if you're looking for somebody who uh, uh, is tough to buy for anybody who's into the outdoors at all I think can appreciate something like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, hunting and fishing licenses make good gifts, and ice fishing equipment makes a great gift and. I think one nice thing about ice fishing equipment for Christmas is that's about the same time ice form, so it gives you <laughs> a right. chance to get out and use it after you get it. Yeah, nothing worse than getting that Christmas gift no matter what it is, and you've got to wait to use it maybe for three or four months or maybe longer. Yeah, absolutely. Randy, thanks again for the visit. We appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks a lot, Steve. That's Randy Opplinger, who's the Sport Fisheries Coordinator for the Utah State Division of Wildlife Resources with some uh, ice fishing tips. And we'll, we'll be following it up, obviously, as uh, some places to go over the course of the uh, winter season because that's where our fishing reports are going to come from, for the most part, is off the ice. So uh, we'll have that. But speaking of fishing reports, when we come back, uh, George Summer will join us, and so will Gary Winterton. And uh, we'll continue with this show on the weekend. Don't forget, as we mentioned a moment ago, the Elk Festival going on today at Smith... Uh, it's, uh, the hardware ranch up in Cache County and get off of the Hiram exit and head on up the uh, the canyon, Blacksmith Fork, and enjoy the day with the elk. Well, we just finished talking about ice fishing in the last segment with uh, Randy Opplinger. So uh, we're going to talk uh, a little more fishing with George Summer, but we're talking about the moving waters that uh, we touched on briefly with Randy about this time of year. You know, you can obviously look around, find some hard water, but it's tough to find this early. But those rivers are absolutely, the flows in the rivers right now should be very stable and very good. There's obviously no drawdowns uh, coming for irrigation purposes. There are some waters being drawn down in anticipation, maybe of some spring runoff. But uh, river flows should be good. And, George, I understand that you had a chance this week to uh, to fish the rivers. First of all, how was the fishing? Well, uh, the fishing was awesome. The catching, not so much. <laughs> but uh, that's uh, that's based on my skill level, not not the fish. The fish were there. Um, it was Steve. It was incredible. Where did you um, fish? Another one of those. I went and fished the Middle Provo. Okay. Um, and uh, you know it, it was nice and warm. Um, uh, a little bit of cloud cover, but it wasn't too bad. So there was a midge hatch coming off. And you think I could match that hatch? <laughs> I could not. Of course, I can't see anything. Anyways, you know. So the little teeny midges, but 
the fish. It was just incredible just to watch. Well, the thing about that stretch, and for those who are unfamiliar, the middle Provo is from Jordan L down to Deer Creek. So you've got the upper Provo, which comes out of the mountains, obviously, and goes uh, into uh, in, into Jordan L. you got the middle section that comes out of Jordan L and goes into Deer Creek, and then you've got that lower section of the Provo from Deer Creek on down to Utah Lake. So when people say, where's the middle Provo, uh, just to orient some folks, uh, it's, I've been amazed at how many people don't really know where that is because it didn't used to be the middle Provo. Basically, uh, we didn't have Jordan L years ago. Exactly, you know, and, it, and it's it's turned into a. And there were some challenges at first when they, they uh, restored it, mm-hmm. but it's turned into a phenomenal um, fishery. I mean, it's it's hard. You go there, and if you don't see fish, something's wrong. You're in the wrong place because I saw hundreds of fish coming <laughs> up and rising, jumping out of the water, and 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 you know the guy across the stream from me, he was catching fish, but I could not. I caught one, and I had a bunch of hits, but I could not put it together. Well, and, hey, that's fishing, right? I mean, there are days like that. There are days I know when you've been the other guy, uh, the guy that's just uh, hooking them up, and somebody else is standing there going, what, what is he doing different? <laughs> exactly. You know, and that, that's the way it goes sometimes. And, and the key thing is go out and have a good time. And I had a great time because, you know, when you can stand in the river and you can see these, these fish coming up, and they were everywhere from 8 inches to probably 3 and 4 pounds, um, rising, jumping. I I don't know what they were doing, but they were jumping four feet out of the water. Wow. And, uh, I mean, it was just incredible to watch all these fish rising and taking bugs off the top. And, and, uh, and, uh, you know, I thought I could match that. I had a hard enough time just tying the flies on, um, (laughs) let alone trying to figure out what they were eating. So we know what what you need for Christmas, right? You need a pair of the glasses (laughs) with the magnifiers in there so you you can see. Yeah, a little stronger pair, probably, because I, I keep a pair with me. Yep. Um, but, you know, you're out there trying to fish that little itty-bitty line through that little <laughs> big hole. And, uh, you know, I probably need one of those magnetic uh, line threaders. Um, but, you know, so you can't ask for a better time to be out. It's a, I'm out fishing. And, and, uh, that's right. You know, well, welcome to old oh, age, my friend. I just want you to, you know, you've still got a ways to go, but you're getting closer all the time. That's one of the first signs. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what's happening. I, I know that, uh, you know, from a from a brown trout standpoint, this is the time when uh, they're starting to spawn. And maybe we ought to tell some folks uh, about being careful with that and with the reds. Well, exactly. You know, when the, when the fish spawn, um, they, they, they carve out a little area. It's, it's a clean section of the the um, bottom of the river, and and typically that's where they lay their eggs. And people should be cautious not to walk through areas where they're red and not to walk upstream from them so that you silt them in um, because that's our future opportunity there. So just just be cautious when you're if you're going to walk in the stream. And typically what I'll do is I'll, I'll walk down the side of the stream, find an area that doesn't have any reds there or below me, and then I'll cross the stream and I'll fish from the bank so that I'm not impacting those those reds because again i want to see those fish come up and be the future generation of fish that i i might be able to catch well and that area of the middle provo certainly is one of those where you've got to be on the lookout for reds because brown trout that that's one of their habitats in there it is and, and that's what i saw was was brown trout. i didn't see any rainbows or anything else in there they were all browns and and uh, they were actively feeding so and i didn't see any reds in the but i didn't move but I stayed in the same spot the whole time I was there um, because there were fish there. And, and again, you know, it goes back to what we've talked about before. You know, don't leave fish to find fish. 
I knew they were there. I just couldn't put together the right pattern to catch them. Well, it, it is that time of year when you can you can be successful uh, on on moving water if you're in the right place, right time, and apparently if you've got the right midge on or the right hatch. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you know, and, and and change up. You know, something's not working because. And I watched the guy across the stream from me, and he was changing flies about every 10 to 15 minutes, and he was catching a few fish here and there. And every time I would change a fly, I would have a couple free hits, um, and then it would kind of die off. So I changed to something else, another Mitch pattern, and, and it worked that way. I just couldn't. Again, my reflexes are horrible, and, and seeing the the fly is a challenge, you know, talk about getting older. Um, so <laughs> between not being able to see what's going on and my reflexes, I missed a lot of fish. But, uh, well, you know, it's still... And that's tough uh, to con- continually change flies like that when you do have the, the sight problem, you know. It takes a lot longer to tie that leader up than it used to, right? It does, you know, and, and uh, when it's a little bit, your fingers get a little cold. Um, it's a real challenge to... To either tie on a, a piece of tippet or to you know tie that small fly on there, but uh, you know I managed to do it, um, and it, you know it changed up occasionally. But I think there's there was probably a pattern that I was missing that would have probably caught me more fish, and and uh, you know it escapes me at this point in time. But I'm going to research what that was, and then next time I will be armed with that particular pattern. The good news is you've got another week. So, you know, we'll, we'll look for that report next Saturday morning and uh, see how you fared. So, George, hey, thanks as always. It's good to talk to you. It's good to talk to you. Thanks, Steve. All right. George Summer, who uh, at least, hey, got a chance to get out for the week. That's the good news. I mean, uh, didn't, like most of us, did not stay in and just uh, complain at the weather. Got a chance to get out, and the fish were there. That's all you can ask. Third segment of the show. Oh, I'll tell you, this is the hour go quickly. I want to thank, obviously, the guests that we've already had, uh, both Brad and Randy and uh, George and Gary. And now a cameo appearance by my former co-host who got a job that uh, pays a lot better than this. Well, it had to because it paid something, so I know it paid a lot better than this. Uh, But Bob Grove who for many years was the co-host on this program, every once in a while will say, yeah, go ahead and call me. We've got some things going on. He has made that move to southern Utah. He's enjoying the sun most of the year. And uh, and so he joins me now to talk about some of the things if folks want to get out of this inversion and the cold weather, to head down south to St. George. And, uh, Bob, you, got, you finally got a little bit of moisture down there, and then the temperatures started going down. It's not as bad as it is here, and you don't have the inversion like we do. Uh, so it's still a good getaway as far as the sun is concerned. Yeah, it certainly is. You know, uh, you you mentioned one of the key words that was one of our main motivations. What money? South. Inversion. Oh, I thought it was. Oh, I thought it was money. I. <laughs> oh no, definitely not the money. But the inversion was worth the uh, the effort in uh, moving this way and. And getting a little bit sunnier weather, but yeah, we finally got some precipitation. It was <laughs> we set records here. I think it was more than 150 days that we went without yeah. any rain here in the southern part of the state. But boy, I tell you, it came back in a vengeance <laughs> because we got a lot of rain and snow in the southern part of the state. 
Now, if folks, are, I mean, it's still a great place. Obviously, it's a lot warmer there than it is here. Maybe not a lot the last couple of days, but it's certainly warmer. Uh, and we know that on the horizon is warmer temperatures down there throughout this winter. Some some reasons, some uh, things that folks can look at that maybe they haven't thought about in a while to head south. Oh, of course, yeah. Now now's a really good time to come down to uh, what we call the Greater Zion area, which is Washington County. The um, you know the uh, shuttle is no longer operating, so you can drive back into Zion Canyon. It's a great time. It's not as busy. My wife and I were just there last week and spent some time in the park. The shuttle was still running in its last weekend of of November, but uh, the park isn't as crowded, and so you can really enjoy the area. But there's so much more to this Greater Zion area than the park itself. We've spent some time in Red Cliffs Recreation Area over in the Leeds Silver Reef area, which is really beautiful. It's really fun to go back there and hike. Uh, again, not crowded. Snow Canyon down here, one of the most beautiful state parks that we have, not only in Utah, but anywhere in the West for that matter. So there's a lot of great places. Sand Hollow uh, with Sand Mountain here for off-roading, one, becoming one of the more popular destination with off-roaders now is that Sand Hollow area. Uh, you and I have been on that a couple of times, and what a great place that is to go explore. A lot of great outfitters there, like um, G, uh, ATV and Jeep Adventures is one if you want to go on a guided tour. And there's some companies there you can rent vehicles from. So, yeah, there's, I mean, come on down. The weather is better than it is up north, and it's a great time if you want to get out of the inversion. Yeah, and we're going to be stuck with this inversion, it sounds like, for quite a while, the way things are going. I mean, they're... Uh... Yeah, they're talking about maybe a, a small storm this weekend is going to move some of that stuff out, but not a whole heck of a lot. Uh, we're, we're back to the inversion again. So talk to me a little bit about um, about some of the areas that you've been working in. I know you've taken your tours over the last several months because uh, during the summer months and the fall, you work taking visitors from around the uh, around the world, actually, out towards uh, the area, that southern area of the state, and then maybe the... Uh, uh, that loop that takes you into Colorado as well and over towards uh, Mesa Verde, yeah, I, that whole area. Yeah, I thought about you on a couple of my tours this past summer. I had a lot of Brits. I seem to have more Brits than normal on my tours towards the end of the season in the fall. I guess that's when they uh, go on holiday. Absolutely. And so I was yep. thinking, man, I could use some of uh, Steve's uh, <laughs> British accent on these tours and understand more of their... But we had, we had a great time. My most recent tour, we did a a historic Arizona Route 66 tour that started in Las Vegas and ended in Albuquerque. And I got to tell you, that's such a fun road to travel, Steve. There's so many, if you're into roadside attractions, there's no better place anywhere to go and and to go on a road trip than to see some of these old, uh, you know, trading posts and diners and motor lodges along the way is a lot of fun. I had some folks from Wisconsin and Florida on that tour. It was just less than a month ago that I was on that. But there's so much to do down here. I got to tell you, I I've been traveling these roads uh, for 40 years, and and I feel like I'm still scratching the surface. There's so much to see and do down here. Every time I go out on one of my own personal trips, I I generally discover something new or go to a place that I've been visiting many times, but see something for the first time, uh, which surprises me. But you know, there's so much to uh, explore in this area. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, one you, of my favorite. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say. I know you got I, that I, cold. One of my favorite things. I, yeah, I've got. I've I picked this up and from the last tour, I brought it home <laughs> with me. My souvenir 
brought home a cold with me. But um, one of the things I've been doing a lot of this past year is hiking with my buddy Mark Wade, a friend of yours as well. And we've been going out and uh, trying to get into some of the areas that are kind of little the nooks and crannies of southwest Utah that aren't often talked about and finding new places to explore. And I got to tell you, even for those locals who have lived here all their life, there are still lots of places to go out and trying to find areas where others haven't discovered yet. Well, I was just going to tell you, if you want to take care of the Brits, and for whatever reason, don't ask me why, but every time I go back to England, uh, everyone raves about McDonald's. They love McDonald's. So if you really want to take good care of them, uh, just stop by a McDonald's on your way, which I'm sure you can find in any place in southern Utah, and you'll have a happy crew of Brits. I I have no idea why, but... That's it. I guess Wimpy's, the burgers that they used to have in the 60s from the Popeye's commercial, um, when you had that to compare them to, the hamburgers at McDonald's look pretty good. Yeah, that's true. You know, and the other thing that I've discovered with the, the Brits is that, you know, they love their tea. Um, morning, yep. noon, and night, they got to have their tea. They didn't like any of our tea anywhere we went except for <laughs> one place, Steve, and it's on Highway 12 in the middle of nowhere. The Kiva Coffee House between Escalante. And, oh, I know where that and, is. Uh, yeah, you know where the Kiva. It's just right there off the side of the road. Yeah. Highway 12. Beautiful views of the Escalante Canyon below of the river. It's and just, they liked they that, huh? The, the, the tea there was top. Well, all you got to do is, is you get Twinnings or Tetleys and you, or Earl Grey. Any one of those three are English tea, tea, and you'll be okay. So you know you might stop off. Keep it in the bus. They'll be happy as long as, uh, you know, you can give them some hot water. I give them a bag of Tetley's or something. They'll be just fine. Yeah, I need to bring you along on my next trip to the Brits. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friend. Hey, listen, the best to uh, Susan and you guys have a, a great couple of weeks. We'll check in with you soon as with this weather continues to deteriorate up north. And uh, we appreciate you joining us this morning. You bet. Have a great weekend, Steve. I will, Bob. Just stick your invoice in the mail, okay, and we'll get you paid as usual. Okay. <laughs> he knows what that means. Don't waste the money on oh, the stamp. <laughs> All right. Talk to you soon, my friend. All right. We'll do. Thanks. All right. It's Bob Grove coming to us uh, from Southern Utah. And that's going to wrap it up. Boy, I'll tell you, we are done. It has been a very long and short, very quick hour today. Again, remember the uh, Elk Festival begins this morning at 10 o'clock up at the uh, Hardware Ranch State Park, which is up. Uh, the uh, canyon up there, Blacksmith Fork. You got rides. Everything's free except the ride. Five bucks for the uh, horse-drawn sleigh ride and uh, for anybody who is nine and over, and three dollars for four to eight. Uh, and it begins at 10 o'clock this morning, goes till 4.30 this afternoon. So uh, be sure and enjoy it and go get on out and check out the elk. That's going to wrap it up for us. And so uh, I will say adieu. We will talk to you next Saturday morning beginning at 8 o'clock right here on 97.5 The Zone. Until then, my friends, as always, you have been warned. 